This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Bartholomew Town is presented in part by the University of Rhode Island Online, who offer a wide array of programs. Learn more by visiting uri.edu slash online. Continuing the conversation on the Washington Bridge right now, we're joined by Rob Cody, who is a voice and person familiar to many in this state, especially if you live in the city of Warwick, but certainly beyond that as well. Rob, thanks so much for the time this morning. Oh, my pleasure, Bill. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you. And uh, I guess if you just want to explain, you know, your your professional background and and your, the, the nature of um, your role here in this Washington Bridge conversation. So just let me put it out there. I am not a structural engineer or P.E., I am a certified structural inspector of record. I hold numerous international certificates on structural inspection, including uh, welding inspection, structural bolting inspection, um, non-destructive testing, ultrasonic inspection, uh, magnetic particle inspection, dye penetrant inspection, and so forth. And I've been involved in inspection of structures and Bridges, uh, buildings, power plants, um, um, you know, uh, ships for a very long time. Um, So when the issue came up with the Washington Bridge and the reports were put online, I took the time to thoroughly go through all of the reports and all of the photos, about a thousand photos. And I found some disturbing things, Bill. Um, One of the first things that I found that was disturbing was... When the reports were first put online by DOT, um, the inspection agency and the name of the particular inspector was clear and evident on the reports. Day later, those reports were taken down and they were replaced with reports where the name of the inspector was redacted and blacked out. So I have a problem with that. And I can say that because I have the printed report um, that I first printed online from 2023, where the name of the inspector was pretty clear. So that was one issue I had. The second issue that I had was when you read these four reports from 2020 to 2023 July, what's interesting is that the narrative is identical, cut and paste, word for word, on all four reports, with maybe they may be two sentences that are different between the reports. The reports are broken down in elements of, okay, this particular element was inspected, the guardrails were inspected, the scuppers were inspected. And I started seeing some really challenging things. For example, the scuppers, which are the drains on the bridge for four years was noted that they were 100% clogged and there was standing water up to six inches in depth, things of that nature. Um, the guardrail, the contractor was worried about replacing all the missing and loose bolts because the facade that the guardrail was mounted on was hollow, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, what really bothered me, and, and as someone who's not only authored thousands of reports, but read countless reports from other inspection agencies as a QA manager, where the photographs did not have a timestamp or a date stamp on them. The date is imported into a text box. And that typically just doesn't happen in the inspection world because of the fact for traceability, when you photograph a component that's being inspected, your photo 
in 99.99% of the time has the date stamp right on the photo. Um, I can tell you in 28 years that I've been doing this, there's been maybe a couple of times during the winter where I had a camera malfunction uh, on my inspection camera and then, you know, used my phone to take a photo. But those times is, uh, are extremely rare. So, so that bothered me as well. Um, but what's really troubling for me is this notion that there was some type of catastrophic incident that all of a sudden that uh, the cantilevers in Span 7 failed. And I think for anybody to believe that, they're quite naive. And to substantiate that comment, I'll offer the following. When you go through these reports for four years, there are several pictures of that particular location where the cantilevers are on Span 7 that have failed. And the photos are taken from almost the identical angle, slightly different angle for for four years in these photo reports. Although these connecting rods are not specifically called out in the report, right? So you have a, a narrative report and then you have a photo journal, two separate documents. That in itself is very strange and problematic to me from an inspection point of view. However, I digress. So... When you look at these photos, you can see all the way up to July of 2023 on cantilever A, span 7, that suffered this catastrophic failure. You can see the rod. You can see all the broken concrete and the exposed broken rebar. And right adjacent to that rod is the bridge girder and the diaphragm. And the diaphragm is the, it looks like a cross brace, an X brace that holds the girders together, prevents them from deflecting. In all these pictures, you can see that that diaphragm and that girder have the green paint on them. They're all rotted out. Uh, you can see uh, lots and lots of oxide scale. And you can see that in the, in the July of 2023 photo. In the December 8th photo, which is taken from the same location, you now see that the rot and rust-covered diaphragm is now spray-painted that nice new blue. And is blue overspray of paint on the broken connecting rod and when you look at it and you zoom in on the picture the fracture zone of the rod has overspray in the fracture zone and that fracture zone has um, a long time worth of oxide scale which tells me that that thing was broken for a while now it would stand to reason maybe somebody else noticed this um, but in July, when you have a picture where you have no blue spray paint on a rusted out girder, and now in December, all of a sudden, when a new inspector comes for whatever reason, we don't know why he was there because there was no construction going on at that point at that particular location. It troubles me to see that that rod is broken and there's spray paint in the fracture zone and no one's addressed that issue. Now, the reason I keep speaking about that issue is because it marks the timeline. I like to know when was that component spray painted because that narrows down the timeline, if you follow me. Yes. So, so that's, that's very problematic. Um, and what's interesting, Bill, and I know that you have looked at the report because we've spoken about it. When you look at this December 8th report, um, and you go through the first couple pages of the uh, uh, the drawings and the and the diagrams, and then uh, DOT has photographs of the areas of the pier. There's 
huge chunks of concrete that have spalled away, broken away. And when you look at those photos, there's no date stamp on the photos and there's no text box inserted with the date on it. But then when you look at the failure areas, you see a date and the date is inserted with a text box. And that's very problematic because when I see something like that, I doubt the traceability of when that photo was taken. So there's some troubling things. And one of one of the things I think that bothers me the most, Bill, is as a third party inspector that's worked for a number of engineering firms, some of them that have worked on this bridge, in matter of fact, when an inspector uh, performs an inspection and writes his report, you have a short narrative of what you're inspecting. You reference the detail. And then you reference typical photos that you insert. And then that's delivered to the owner's representative, which is usually the engineer of record or the architect. But we don't see that in this particular situation on any of these inspection reports for the last four years. Everything is on DOT letterhead. So I believe that there is additional reports or other reports that were authored by those third-party inspection firms that were hired by DOT's engineers or or their third-party consultant. And I'd like to know where those are because I've never seen inspection reports like this. You you don't take an inspector's report and then remove that information and cut and paste it and put it on a standard letterhead from the DOT. Right. Um, So that's problematic for me. One of the other issues that's problematic for me that I think really can only be construed as gross negligence is when you look at those DOT reports, they go back all the way to 2007 to show the superstructure integrity, which is listed as as poor minimal. So going back to 2007 all the way to 2023, all the inspections showed a level four of poor minimum. Yet there were no load restrictions implemented on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you when you look at that data and you look at the photos and you see the condition, it would be reasonable to assume that there's some missing data, some missing information, uh, maybe some negligence on reporting. Uh, so from the chair of an inspector, I, I find I find that very troubling. And what's un- shocking about it, or at least unnerving on another level is that right out of the gate here, once these press conferences started back in December, time and time again, I asked the DOT either in front of the governor or directly to the governor, directly to Director Alviti, behind the scenes to the Department of Transportation's communications team, hey, are these inspection reports the original, essentially undoctored version, the entire array, the entire dossier so to speak of inspection reports related to this bridge they insisted that everything that was put forth was entirely original and that there's no additional material yet at the same time when i said when i asked for similar inspection reports in terms of just the way they're laid out with the as you describe a microsoft word text box no response no reply really just trying to get this question uh, dismissed as quickly as possible, still to this day haven't received any additional documentation, even though it's been requested. Well, I can assure you that there is additional documentation. And when it comes to text boxes, I would invite you 
to look closely at the December 8th report and study those text boxes and compare them with the previous reports. That's problematic. Um, you know, I, I don't think that they're being forthcoming with all of the information. And uh, I think that the reports clearly uh, bring questions to the average person of, you know, how, how are these inspections conducted, right? Mm -hmm. um, I have other information that I can't talk about at this juncture, but um, I, I think it's reasonable to say that the DOT has, has not been forthcoming and truthful with information, all of the information relative to this bridge, because there is, there's no way that an inspector is going to allow his data to be transferred and then his name to be put on. Because typically, on every inspection report that I've written for the last 28 years, at the end of the report is my name, my signature, and my date, and, and my stamp, all right? And I don't, I don't see that. So, you know, it's troubling to me to see the, these formats, um, and I just firmly believe that there is all the data that we just have not seen what is what is this crisis right now which right now a lot of people continue to view simply through the lens of inconvenience rightfully so because other than a handful of times a day when you pass through this span it's extremely inconvenient and it's also indicative of a breakdown of government at some level but from just a, an industrial standpoint from your standpoint what is this moment say about at least your faith overall in the director director alviti and the dot's ability to properly manage major pieces of infrastructure in the state well you know i think that could be summed up with really you know a sentence or two can anybody name one project that came in on time on budget um i, I look let's look at the appenock circulator right which i live down the street um you know that was touted for a couple of years as a 28 million dollar project it came in at 71 million during that time i photo and filmed documented dozens and dozens of code violations um our good friend jim hummel did a couple pieces on that with with alviti um and you know alviti was basically saying when we were talking about um, um violations of the standard specification for road and bridge design where they were compacting soil using what's called bucket strikes, which is strictly prohibited by code, right? And Mr. Alviti was like, well, yeah, but, you know, we're going to go back there and it's a temporary road, temporary, you know, uh, area. And the code specifically states that any area that's deemed temporary shall be constructed in the same manner with the same code compliance as if it was a permanent road so I, I see these things and you know when i look at dot to this day bill you know i've screamed and yelled about how they fix potholes how they pave a few weeks back dot was out fixing potholes on post road in front of the airport two guys on the back of a truck taking hot mix with shovels throwing it on the pothole and driving by, not compacting it, not tamping it, you know, not compressing it, just throwing raw hot mix on it 
And five minutes later, all that material was ejected and was at the side of the road. Right. So right. so we see these violations of codes where we have specific codes in place that clearly are not being followed. And so I think that the DOT needs to really institute um, a, a quality assurance, quality control program that is monitored and run by professionals in that industry to oversee, to make sure workers are doing the work in accordance with the specified codes. Is there anything in your mind that would benefit the state right now from an immediate change at DOT, whether that's Alvidi's resignation, Igliosi, uh, who's essentially the number two there, anybody that is currently at DOT in a leadership position. There's been calls, certainly, for, for resignations or terminations, yet the governor's resisted that. One of the arguments that I've heard is that you've got a guy that is well-versed in the people and the elements of, of a project like the Washington Bridge in charge right now and the last thing you want to do is upend that department in the middle of the crisis from your standpoint other than just the optics and people sort of feeding the wolves so to speak would there be an upside or a benefit to a change of dot right now well you know i can make arguments pro and con on both sides of of that discussion and and there is some credence to you know removing somebody right in the middle of, of this catastrophic event. However, um, I, I think that the implementation of, of an independent third party um, that oversees the construction uh, and the inspection and reports to other than Peter Alvidi and DOT, I, mm-hmm. I, I think that really needs to be implemented. Um, you know, there's been reason to believe in the past that DOT hasn't done the right things. We've had situations, the Iway Bridge, where, you know, part of that Iway Bridge was constructed. Um, Peter Nerona spoke about it, where Cardi had constructed the barrier where the where the um, the vehicular guardrails were. And they failed and they found out that there was no rebar where there should have been rebar. You know, things of that nature, when, if you... If, if you have that same situation that is repetitive, then I, then I think that there's some form of failure of oversight. Because, look, DOT has inspectors. I don't know what their qualifications are. I've run across a few of them in my time. Um, but if that project that, for example, Peter Nerona was speaking about, if there was oversight on that by DOT, by their inspectors, how could we find out a, a year or so later due to a car accident, that there was no rebar installed in an area that the drawings were specific, they called for the rebar. And furthermore, how does any contractor bill for something and get paid for something for work that was supposedly done in accordance with specified drawings? And later on, because of an accident, we find out that that work was not performed in accordance with those drawings. So I think I think there's a breach uh, within the system of monitoring to make sure that the taxpayer is getting the optimum use of the money that they're spending for infrastructure. Last question here, and much, very much appreciate your time here this morning. Rob Cody with us here on Bartholomew Town. What, where do we go from here? It, it seems like this story is gonna, it's definitely a daily story. There's no doubt about it. Just in terms of from a news media perspective, it's something that everybody wants to talk about everybody wants to hear about not just 
on radio, but in real life, this is a real life event where people who are totally, in my life anyway, not involved in news, not involved in politics, they talk about this. They're asking me about this. What's the next big step in your mind from your perspective, just as somebody who's been around government, politics, media, and obviously the industrial specificity that you bring here, what should people be looking for? Well, I, I think, you know, this rises to such a level because it's impacted so many people, right? Just in terms of inconvenience, time factor, you're biting into people's time, which, you know, everybody's time is extremely limited these days with everything that they have going on. And then you look at the economic side of this bill um, when it affects transportation of products and materials and so forth. Um, people are not going to want to traverse over that area of the state which is going to impact small business so there's a real trickle down detriment to what's happening on the washington bridge right um i don't think and i said this from day one and you and i have spoken off air before and i said this from day one there's no way that this is going to be a three-month fix um i think that this is going to be a multi-year fix uh i think there's a possibility that they may implement some type of shoring and fixing temporarily of these critical areas. But make no mistake about it, I, I don't think that anybody in government is going to want to hang their hat on a bridge that has reports back to 2007 that has been failing and say, okay, we're going to keep dumping money into this. I firmly believe, I have to believe that right now, uh, the engineers crunching numbers and coming up with a new design, and I, I, I would bet, I would bet that the end result of this is going to be that bridge is going to be a complete tear down. Maybe temporarily we might put a patch on it to try to get some traffic over it and limit it, but I have to think based on you know my knowledge of construction and what I've seen that uh, more than likely this bridge will be a complete takedown. And when that happens, I, I, I think, you know, that our, our elected officials and our appointed officials, they need to be really transparent with the people that are going to be impacted the most so they can start to plan and change their lives to accommodate this disruption. Because I, I really think that this disruption is not going to be short term. Mm -hmm. Tough news. But I, I would say that one thing we've learned over the last week and change is that both Alvidi freelancing on a Zoom call with East Providence city councilors and state reps, so on and so forth, and also the governor in a couple of different interviews, they're rolling out this idea, and they've pulled it back a little bit, but they've rolled it out, hey, there might be, we're looking at three possibilities. One is continuing on with the sort of loose, short-term patchwork idea, three months or so. The other is this sort of more extensive rebuild and then, oh, by the way, the third is total demolition and rebuild. So they're teasing it. They're not, um, and even yesterday, Alvidi on the radio with Gene Valicente, sort of teasing the idea that, yeah, you know, even if, if, if we have to demolish the bridge, there's a chance we could somewhat shore up the existing structure, the existing array, and get some traffic over in a reasonable manner while the new construction's going on. So it's almost like they're letting this out slowly. I mean, that's just a judgment call. I don't have any facts to back that up. But it, it does feel as though they're almost prepping the state to say, yeah, you know what? There's going to be a major, noteworthy in terms of historical literature, major project happening here. 
and it's going to inconvenience anybody that has to travel between the East and West Bay through Providence. Well, Bill, the other thing is, and that's a great point, but how safe are the residents of Rhode Island and the people that traverse that bridge, how safe are they going to feel knowing that in December, Peter Alvini said we averted a catastrophic failure and now, you know what, we just patched it up um, and, and it should be okay until such time as we build a brand new bridge. Yeah. To me, that doesn't inst- instill a, 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 a safety factor, you know, a nice, warm, cozy feeling that everybody's doing the right thing. And, you know, my family and loved ones will be safe when they're traveling, you know, through this major artery. So and that that in itself brings people to have doubt in the elected and appointed officials as to if they're really doing the job in the best interest of the, you know, the safety of the residents. Rob Cody, thanks so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Bill.